everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. I've got Luke and Tyler here with me today. And we had quite a few questions over summer and over the last little while, given it's been so hot, around heat load stress, the effects of heat while we're training and, and performing. And we just want to cover off a few few things given given those questions, but then also a few experiences that Tyler's had throughout racing as well that are pretty invaluable in terms of understanding what it's like to go through some extreme uh, heat load stress as well. So the first question, so we want to tick off is, I'll sort of hand it over to Luke for this one, but what's the, what's the process of heat load fatigue or how does it, how does the heat actually impact us in performance? What might be going on internally in the body? And then how does that relate to an athlete fatiguing? Yeah, cool. Um, so normal core, core body temperature is about 36 and a half, 37 and a half degrees. When we use aerobic metabolism, so just staying alive, we produce or generate heat as a byproduct. So we're always constantly producing heat. When we start to exercise, we're obviously increasing uh, our muscle contractions and that also leaves behind heat as a byproduct. So the body wants to remain in what's called homeostasis. So we want to keep that 36 and a half, 37 and a half degrees Celsius. Uh, and the way we regulate that is through sweating. So when, when our hypothalamus, when it senses that we are uh, getting hot above that 37 and a half, we're going to start to sweat. All right, so sweating is evaporative cooling. As humans, we lose up to about 70% of our heat through evaporative sweating through cooling. Uh, a dog, on the other hand, pant. They can't sweat, so they pant. But we we can sweat. So um, sweating will cool ourselves down. It's really important that we can do that, and then we need airflow to come over us as well to then make that sweat evaporate, which will release heat into the environment and cool the body down. Uh, as we go on to shortly, obviously, when it's a, a very humid day. We sweat, but we don't evaporate that sweat because the, the, the air itself is quite moist. So we, we don't become very effective at cooling ourselves down. And that's when we can get into a bit of strife with our heat load. Um, in terms of internally what's happening when we sweat, so we, we lose all that sweat from, from blood plasma. So we've got about 45% of our blood is, is red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, all the good stuff. And the other 55%, so just over half, is blood plasma. It's essentially fluid and enzymes. And it's, it's a, it's a, let's just call it water for the sake of it. It's not quite a few enzymes in it, but it's essentially water. So when we sweat, we lose that blood plasma. When we lose that blood plasma, we, we essentially lose blood volume overall because if, if half, just over half our blood is water and we lose some of that, we, we're reducing our blood volume overall. So our blood becomes thicker. It has more stuff and less fluid. When it has more stuff and less fluid, uh, we... It's essentially, it's, just, it's a thicker substance, so it's harder to circulate around the heart. The heart has to work so around the body. The heart has to work harder to actually push it out. And our stroke volume, which is how much blood per beat, actually goes down. So a lot of people looking at home, hot day, dehydrated, you're going to see that uh, you, your heart rate is, is elevated, partly because your body is trying to cool itself down and sweat more, but also partly because we start to lose uh, blood plasma and lose the an increase of the viscosity of our blood. So that's a little bit about... Uh, what happens with heat load. So we, we generate it all the time. We sweat to cool the body down, which is good. If we don't replace it with, with fluid, drinks, so on and so forth, then we start to get a bit of strife and, and move outside that optimal 36 and a half, 37 and a half degrees Celsius. And that's the typical thing we we hear, we hear from a lot of athletes. Why is, why is my heart rate higher when I'm running on a 35 degree day than, than normal? It's exactly that. Thick of blood, hard to move around the body. We're trying to help cool ourselves down. So heart's working overtime, mm -hmm. really for that same, same exercise intensity. In terms of how it's going to eventually cause us to fatigue and then probably lead into tile your experiences but what is that in extreme cases you're out we've got a lot of guys running marathons if you go into a, a race in a, in a hot climate ironman whatever it may be how is that excess heat if we can't cool ourselves down effectively then going to cause us to fatigue have to slow down impact performance yeah so uh, there's a few very vari variables that we consider 
Um, make sure we link the Callum Hawkins example yep. video below. Have a look at that, guys. That goes into detail. But um, again, it, it comes down to not being able to regulate our core cool body temperatures. If we go above that 37.5, we know we're in strife. So when we, when we lose the blood plasma, our stroke volume goes down, heart rate goes up, okay? So we're gonna have a problem actually supplying oxygen because we, we now have less blood circulating. So that's gonna be problem number one. Um, the, the significant problem we have with dehydration is that when, when the body is starting to lose that plasma and we have thicker blood, the, the body doesn't want to it doesn't want to be in strife, right? it doesn't want to struggle. So what it, what it does is it comes to a point where we've lost so much blood plasma through sweating it out that our body is actually going to stop sweating. It's going to try to conserve uh, the fluid, the plasma that we have left. So if we stop sweating, I just said before that we lose about 70% of our heat load through, through sweating, through evaporative cooling. If we stop sweating, our core body temperature is going to increase significantly. So then we get up to that 40, 41, 42 degrees. We get heat load, sorry, heat exhaustion and heat stress. Um, this is where we can get some central fatigue. So central fatigue would be, uh, I'll flip over to Tyler in a sec because he's experienced this, but this is when you see that people crawling over the finish line, they, they have not much coordination in the muscles. Sean Welsh is a good one for 1996 triathlon. Um, Jonathan Brownlee happened to, in the Mexican Mexico Olympic distance race, yeah, it was an ITU race. Yeah, that was only a couple of years ago. So, um, when your core body temperature, core body temperature increases so much, uh, because you've stopped sweating, because you, you've already sweated out as much plasma as your body will let you do without being super dangerous, you're going to to um, get central fatigue that way. Um, another sort of byproduct of that. So, just before you get that central fatigue, if your stroke volume decreases heaps, uh, you're going to have lower blood pressure. Okay, so blood pressure being the pressure on of the blood on the arterial walls. Well, if you're only, say, ejecting 50% out as opposed to 100%, there's going to be a lot less pressure on your arterial walls. You're going to reduce your blood pressure, so you get dizzy um, and you often fall over, which we've seen time and time again. You fall over first because you're dizzy uh, before you then hit the next stage, which is that central fatigue where you yeah. lose coordination. Yeah, so there's a, lot, there's a lot of things, but it's that sort of gradual process of one thing then sort of leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. Yeah. This is where I want to bring you in, Tyler, on what does it feel like when you go through that process? You want to just go through one or I think it was what, two two races this has happened to you previously? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Hasn't learnt. <laughs> didn't learn, no. Um, yeah, I think my issue really comes from the high humidity. Um, like I've had a reasonable race in Kona, I've had a good race in Bustleton on a 36 degree day, I challenged Melbourne a few, so I was sort of 40 because um, I am a, a quite a heavy sweater, which, you know, I guess that's can be helpful in keeping me cool in those conditions. Well, I can replace it, but in those really humid conditions, I guess it's not necessarily cooling down effectively, and then my sweat rate goes up again. And um, yeah, I'm in Malaysia, and then I'm in Taiwan. I didn't finish either of those ones, and I did a 70.3 at Cairns as well a few years ago. Where I had a pretty poor race similar type conditions, really humid. Um, what does it feel like? Yeah, it's pretty, it's terrible. It's all those things you just said. Um, both at Taiwan and Malaysia, I think the point where I knew it was pretty bad was that stopping sweating. So it's stifling, stifling hot and you're running. And um, I've noticed my palms first. That was the one I really noticed when you get really dry sort of palms, despite the fact. And in Malaysia, I remember trying to sit down and getting halfway down and then just falling, so that's that sort of uncoordination that you're talking about. 
Um, yeah, and I just, yeah, again, I couldn't really, I probably made a better decision at Taiwan and didn't quite get to that point. I could sit myself down and, um, but Malaysia, you know, went in an ambulance um, from somewhere out on the run course and into a medical tent onto a drip and sort of bring me back from there. But, um, yeah, how does it feel? It's bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The reason you, in Malaysia, correct me wrong a bit, the reason you got pulled off course was because your blood pressure was dangerously low. Do you remember that? Oh, I, I, I was at an A session, so I tried, to, I thought I'll sit down and I fell. Yeah. And then the medical staff came over and I sat for a while and then decided I'd stand up and try to keep going. And that was when they said no at that point. So, um, yeah, there's some, I don't necessarily recall what happened, but yeah. we're in an ambulance and I'm sure they did some tests. And yeah. Yeah, so obviously put him back on the IV drip yeah. there to to try to to get those blood plasma levels back up. So then we can then obviously get that blood pressure back up and, and return to a normal state. Obviously, you were spewing a lot, weren't you? Were you spewing when you took water in and that? Or, uh, or at Taiwan, it, yeah, I started 120 k's I think into the bike. I pulled over once and threw up, and then couldn't keep fluids down. So I guess there's there's a lot of alarm bells when it's yeah super yeah. hot and humid and you're got a marathon to run and you can't keep fluid down and you stop sweating and feel that way that it's not really good. Yeah, it's a very dangerous situation because you, you, you're you already dehydrated and you can't actually rehydrate yourself with oral consumption when you're drinking because you then start vomiting as well. So um, then you chuck in a saline solution as, a, as an IV drip and that will that will rehydrate you that way. So there's a lot of things that go on there. It's pretty, it can be pretty, well, I've never... I personally had it done, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I can imagine it's yeah. pretty bad, yeah. pretty bad yeah. experience. Yeah, um, touched on a bit of there, more so the humidity is what, what probably got you, and this is where probably I reckon a lot of guys would get, not confused almost, but think, oh, it must be the heat that might be causing fatigue as opposed to, you said you had some good race in 36 plus degree conditions, but it was the ones that had the really high humidity that caused that, that overall fatigue in the end and really made it worse than what you'd previously experienced to either well, open up to both of you why, why is it the humidity that potentially is making it worse well I would say that um, as I said I, I sweat quite highly but when it's not the humid and that evaporates and that's effective at cooling me down and um, I can replace that but if you're sweating but not cooling down because it's not evaporating those humid conditions so your body temperature is still up, so then you'll sweat more. Your body's natural response is going to be sweat more if you're still hot and sweat more. So that sweat rate gets really high. Um, and per, I think in that situation, I just was unable to match my losses with my intake, um, which pretty quickly led to a, 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 that, that thick blood plasma, losing the blood plasma, thickening of the blood. Um, so I think in, that, in those conditions for me, I just needed to slow down. Like I'm producing too much heat at that Right, I'll probably race both those races like I was in Melbourne. Um, they were good sort of intensities I felt comfortable and I'd be able to maintain, but my fluid loss was just far too great um, beyond what I could replenish. And that's when that, yeah, as we said, you lose the blood plasma, you, your blood thickens, your blood pressure goes down and all of those things start to happen and happen and happen and happen. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about humidity, uh, humidity is just air with water in it. So if you have more water, you can't, you can't change, so you've got sweat on you, you want that, which is a fluid or water, you want to evaporate that. You can't evaporate water by using more water, you're just keeping it as water, and that's what doesn't evaporate. So humidity is essentially air molecules with water attached to them, is a really simply, simply put way. 
um, which is why you sweat heaps, but you don't evaporate any of that sweat because it doesn't have the opportunity to because you're just adding more and more water. Mm. So you need that dry airflow, that wind, the dry airflow to actually evaporate that sweat. So if you don't get that, as I said before, there goes just 70 odd percent of your cooling capacity yeah. and you, can't, you just can't match fluid in, fluid out. Uh, it's no surprise why the, the guys and girls that do really well at you know the Malaysian Ironman and the marathon and Taiwan that the generally and again correct me wrong but they're generally they're, they're locals or, or in a similar sort of climate and they've acclimatized to uh, that specific environment so it's partly genetics and partly training history obviously but um, it's very hard to come from you know Australia mm. to then go over to, to that sort of plot to, to Taiwan where it's very hot and humid double negative yeah. To then perform well, it's the same as Jonathan Brownley going back and talking about the the standard distance um, world champs in what 2015 did we say? Whenever it was, I think it was about that. Yeah. Again, hot and humid day, 35 plus degree degree day. Well, where's he from? He's from Great Britain. It's not mm. very hot, not very humid over there. So all day they were pouring water on themselves, trying to cool down. And this is both the Brandley brothers, so they're, they're doing everything right, but they're not used to that environment. And you can even go over and acclimatize for the recommended amount of time. Uh, but there's still you know, a limited amount you can do just given your genetics and your, and your background overall. Yeah, so based on that, you, you touched on acclimatisation. Is that your best bet in terms of trying to prevent some of these things? Go over early, get used to the conditions, or is there anything else you can do to try and prevent some of this from occurring? What what can you? What are some strategies that yeah, God yeah. might be able to use? Yeah, I'll have a quick chat. We'll go acclimatisation, then I'll talk about cooling vests and stuff. Mm. Come back for that. So, yeah, acclimatisation or acclimation is, is your best bet. So they're very similar. Acclimatisation is you physically go over to that place. So you would go over to Taiwan two weeks prior and exercise or train to get acclimatised. Or acclimation, which is trying to replicate the environment at home. So you might go and turn on a steamy shower. You might actually go to a heat chamber, so on and so forth. Same thing, different name. Um, so the recommended protocols for that, it, it varies, but you want to allow at least 14 days of actually training, at least 50% VO2 max, that's just basically a, a very low zone to even active recovery. Get out there for uh, ideally an hour, an hour um, at least two times a week, might be three, don't quote me, um, actually training. So you can't just go over and just do your full tape necessarily, do nothing, you actually have to train. And, and, and the benefits of acclimatization is that you increase your blood plasma, um, so that, that's the fluid we lose through sweating. If you get more of that, then it's going to take longer for you to actually be in that, that danger zone of, of having thick blood. So that, that's really good. But there are limitations. As I said, you know, and you've done all those things before, haven't you, Tyler? Like, it's only so much that you can do. Right? Yeah, we got to Taiwan two weeks out, embraced Xterra a week earlier. So, yeah, I think my what I needed to do was, regardless of acclimatisation, was slow down, basically. Like, you'll all see... Winning times in these events in these conditions aren't as fast Massive, as they yeah. are, yeah, of course, because you just cannot maintain that same intensity generating all that heat in those really hot, humid conditions. So, yeah, acclimatize to minimize your losses and, and get as best use to it as you can. But you need to make peace with the fact you're not going to do a PB in those conditions, it's going to be a different race, and um, you know, I just didn't adjust like I should have, yeah, spot on. Like, if you reduce the intensity, there's less. Less forceful muscle contractions, therefore less heat generated. So, of course, that, that's what you're going to need to do. Um, I mean, other methods around it. There are, you know, there's some things we can do. Uh, see, if we lose seventy odd percent of our heat through evaporative cooling, well, there's other types of cooling that we can do as well. We're not going to detail. There's, there's three other types, but long story short, um, 
your body will transfer heat to something that it touches. So if you pour some cold water on yourself, yeah. you're going to release heat that way. Um, if you you can do some pre-cooling of ice vests, probably not going to be that that beneficial for an Ironman distance given the, the duration of, of the event. But you could put an ice vest on, keep your core body temperature low while not affecting your, your periphery, so your leg muscles and your, and your arm muscles, for example. So you could still go out and be prime, have prime muscle temperature and skin temperature to, to make those that your leg muscles you know perform maximally for a marathon. But you've kept your core body temperature low by having an ice vest. So that's something else that you can do as well. Um, obviously, you can't. I'm not sure what the regulations are, but you're not going to be able to use an ice vest throughout a full Ironman. But you can definitely pour drink, you know, drink bottles on yourself. Um, you know, they often hand out ice. You put it in your cap. Try to keep your yeah. your your, your, um, your body cool that way. You lose the most of your heat from the ends of your body, so your hands, your head, and your feet. So um, a visor, even something as simple as a visor versus a cap. A visor is open, so you've got the head exposed. Having a beard is probably not ideal. You know, things <laughs> like that. Um, you know, you don't you don't wear gloves at Kona, do you? But you do it like the the Tokyo Marathon because it's freezing. You're trying to conserve yeah. your yeah. keep your heat inside your body. So there's things that you can do, but obviously, with, keeping in mind the majority of it is is evaporative cooling, and that's obviously inhibited. So you need to slow down to actually get less heat as a byproduct, whilst trying to maximise the other areas. Just trying to get cold stuff on you um, without actually affecting the the working muscles that that, that are that are working there. So yeah. it's a few strategies you can do. Yeah, so plenty, plenty to think about in terms of the, the heat load side of things, cooling yourself down. I think it's pretty relevant for the upcoming um, couple of months of racing with particularly something like Cairns Ironman coming up. A lot of athletes come from Melbourne where it's starting to cool down, then going to go to a hot, humid climate and try and race one of these events. So pretty relevant in terms of understanding what's going on, understanding first-hand experience, what it feels like. So hopefully we can start to prevent a little bit of it. But again, it may not be a case of doing all the right things, it may just be a case of on the day, except in the fact you might have to slow down as well. So thinking about all the variables, hopefully that gives you a bit to think about around heat load stress and, and how heat's going to impact your performance. Uh, again, as always, if you've got any questions for us you'd like answered, we have plenty on heat load. If there's anything else you'd like answered around your training performance, whatever it may be, please send those questions through on our Mets Mastermind page. We'll also link that down below. And a couple of the other resources we talked about, like the Callum Hawkins video, we'll leave below in the notes as well. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast and we'll see you on the next one.